0: Welcome to the Comical Even. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and this is my podcast. In this podcast, I document my research into the weird and wonderful world of religious satire. As a comedian myself, I travel the country and I get to meet a lot of other comedians, uh, more famous and funnier than me, I'm sure. And so I started interviewing some of them as part of doing research for my book. And these uh, conversations have been really interesting, so I thought I should share some of these. So I started recording them and turning them into this podcast. So thank you for listening. I hope you find it as interesting as I do. Uh, In this episode of the Comical Heathen, we're going to have my interview with Mark Riccadonna, a uh, real road warrior, travels the country, travels the world, headlining, doing stand-up comedy, performing for the troops. And I'm going to share with you a story I found recently about the $3 million fine that the Evangelical Hobby Lobby recently received. Before we get to all that, let's listen to my interview with Mark Riccadonna. Mark Riccadonna is originally from Ohio, and when he was 17, he moved to New York to pursue his dreams of being an actor. And in doing that, he fell into not only acting, but stand-up comedy. He's been in movies. He was recently in the thriller Days of Power, where he plays the patriarch of the evil and sinister family in that movie. Uh, He writes for Saturday Night Live Weekend Update. Uh, He's been in plays in New York. He's been in commercials. He's part of a podcast called I've Done That, where the members of the podcast talk about uh, weird and strange stories from their lives. And storytelling is Mark Riccadana's brand of comedy. He loves to tell stories from his life, about his wife, his kids, his pets, his travels. Earlier this summer, we did a weekend together at the Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls. It was a great weekend, and I want to shout out to the owner there, Pete. Uh, Thank you, Pete. Uh, Pete is a great character in the world of comedy, especially in this part of the world. And so we really appreciate him. The big Oreo cookie, rough on the outside, sweet on the inside. Anyway, my interview with Mark, we talked about his own journey in spirituality. I refer to Mark as a wandering agnostic. That's my words, not his. Uh, He's very interested in spirituality and hearing what other people have to say he doesn't necessarily know what he really believes, and that's something that we talk about. Now, as a comedian, he's more of a storyteller, so he doesn't uh, get into uh, politics that much or other edgy topics. Uh, But he loves it when someone can successfully be edgy. So we talk about some of that, some of the people he's met doing comedy. So I hope you really enjoy it. Here's my interview with Mark Riccadonna. All right, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Comical Heathen. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. I'm pleased to introduce you to our interview subject today, professional comedian, podcaster, and very good friend of mine, Mark Riccadonna.
1: Hey, what's going on, Jerry? Excited to be on?
0: Well, one thing that's going on is we're sitting inside the Smoker's Den in Akron, one of the great cigar shops.
1: This is a must-do thing if you're in Akron. If you're here to see Ernest Angley's Tower to Heaven, yes. stop at the Smoker's Den first. Get yes. yourself a nice stogie. Sure. Chill with Tony. He's one of the <laughs> nicest guys in the world.
0: Uh, my father, the professional wrestler, Dr. Jerry Graham, used to always say, a man cannot drive a Cadillac without a cigar. I like that. <laughs> now I just that, need a Cadillac. Right. Uh, well, sadly, we're comedians. I can't so get the So that day cigar. may never come. I yes. can't get the Cadillac. You got it in the wrong order. Get the Cadillac, <laughs> then get the cigar.
1: And I'm not a huge cigar smoker. I just, I literally mm. love Tony so much. Yes. That I come here mm-hmm. to hang out with him. And then he picks the lightest cigar he can find. Right. So I don't throw up in, his, in right. the middle of his beautiful place. <laughs> and uh, I sit back and just. I mean, before we started recording, we had a great conversation.
0: Yep. With uh, that musician who was there, I yeah, came late, so I didn't catch his name. But what I, a great guy, full of stories, just I didn't get a eccentric his name character. <laughs> <laughs> but he <laughs> opened for Rod Stewart last year.
1: Yes, and he looks just like Walter Solchek from uh, The Big Lebowski. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to pull a gun because I wasn't following the uh, rules.
0: Uh, and I don't know about a lot, but some are a lot of the comedians that come through the Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls with Pete, who's Tony's brother like to go to that cigar shop like yeah, it's, it's a the two greatest things to yes. do when you're here i mean
1: <laughs> the comedy club's awesome pete's right. awesome tony he's the chef here at the uh mm-hmm. chef cook probably chef is over so yes he runs the kitchen yeah he runs the <laughs> kitchen and the food's great yes but it's bar food yeah and uh you go and have a cigar with tony your life is good <laughs>
0: okay well mark on this podcast i meet comedians and other interesting people and just Ask them about religious satire. Uh, I'm writing a book about religious satire, so I thought, awesome. why don't I go to the source and see what some of the you know, people in the trenches who have to deal with, yeah. with it, think about it.
1: It's That's a very, this is a very, mm-hmm. people think edgy means dirty. This is a very edgy topic because right. people hold religion or mm-hmm. lack of religion very mm-hmm. personally. Yep. They get very upset about things. Right. Um, for a thing that is supposed to be about forgiveness, it's very interesting that uh, there's not a lot of forgiveness when you discuss things and have different views.
0: Right, and so comedians who want to explore religious satire, the Bill really? Mars and John Fugel's sayings of the world, want to point out that hypocrisy. Yes. like that's what they're well, and that's what their they humor do with on.
1: politics. That's what they do with uh, everyday yep. life. But yep. it seems like when you talk about religion. Walls go up, and people are ready to go to battle.
0: Now, is that? I mean, uh, I've we've done a lot of shows. I've known you for several years. I don't think of you as delving into the world of religious satire typically in your act. And is that? I,
1: what's funny is is I'm in a place of I don't know what the hell I am. <laughs> right. I don't have uh, a, a, a thing. Like a lot of people seem very mm-hmm. definite that they know what it is. They believe right. in this or they do not
0: believe well, in this. Well, comedy coaches always say you need a point of view. you got to develop your point of view. My do you have a point of view? My
1: point of view is not knowing my point of view. <laughs> um, and and how is that working for you? Interesting enough, um, I think mm-hmm. that I've built bridges in between wars with comedians. <laughs> I've explored a little bit about religion. I used to do jokes about things with religion, but I realized I'm not that well-versed to want to argue. Right. Um, And it's the same as I feel like with politics, where it's like, hey, listen, you have a different point of view than me. Can't we just accept you have a different background, you come from a different point of view than I, Right, and I'll respect whatever you believe. Like, Jerry, I know you are very conservative christian yes and i will respect That's, you it's a little known fact about me <laughs> yes but i will respect your point of view and in all right. honesty you're actually a very liberal
0: atheist so now you got I the audience up. like scratching their head which is true one of these two things is true
1: but i love you either way whichever <laughs> you are because i enjoy your point of view you. and your perspective and when you point out something mm-hmm. humorous about uh, religion or mm. politics, because I feel like they go one and the same together. Right. I it's, feel like when you point those out, even if I don't agree with you, I can still laugh. I can still enjoy what it. What do
0: you think? I mean, you say that in the past you dabbled in religious yes. satire, but you said religion brings up the walls faster than anything. Yes. Have you had that kind of experience?
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is it was very harmless humor. Right. I
0: was um, talking about
1: I, I just as a. Pointing out, um, as many people know, most great magicians right. are, are Jewish. Okay. Harry Houdini was actually Jewish. David Copperfield, okay. Jewish. Jesus Christ, Jewish. Sure. <laughs> and then I would do you know you know can you imagine what it was like you know they're like hey this guy Jesus have you seen his show he turns the water and the wine then he walks on it <laughs> it's a stupid it's not attacking any point of view of right. religion it's just saying like mm-hmm. Fun fact, a lot of magicians are Jewish. The king of the Jews happens to be kind of a magician, (laughs) according to stories. And I would get people after shows that would get upset about that's something you shouldn't joke about. And I'm like, it's silly, it's stupid, if that offends you, you really shouldn't be
0: at a comedy club. Well, that's one thing. You you would think that comedy shows, a typical comedy show, maybe not all or some, but would weed out almost... Like the most uptight people yeah. wouldn't be going to comedy shows. It's like a yeah, self selection. Exactly. Like you it should be a fun loving, comedy loving person. It's not
1: that you're being forced to go to this comedy <laughs> yeah. show. But something really interesting and the first credit I've ever got as a comedian was um, I was on the Catholic channel on Sirius XM. Okay. And I was on it and the show was hosted by a Jewish fellow, Dave Koenig, who's a, a, a very very funny comic. Um, But him and his wife had this show. He was Jewish. She's Catholic. And they'd bring guests on and, you know, whatever. Well, they wanted me on because when I moved to New York, and here's my history. I'll tell you my whole, I'll I'll lay the cards on the table. Um, When I was in, I was raised Catholic. I'm I'm more of a Jesus Christ superstar Catholic (laughs) than I am, like, a Catholic Catholic. Like, I went to get confirmed and do all that stuff that you're supposed to do. Sure. Um, As, you know, somebody with an Italian last name. Right. And my mom and dad never put religion on me that it's uh, anything. We've never followed it. You know, it's just, does it make you a better person? Yes. Well, then, yeah, do it. Okay. And that's how I believe with all religions. If you tell me you're you're Jewish, you're Catholic, you're Christian, you're atheist, you're... um,
0: There's 10,000 religions in the world. You don't have to list them all.
1: Whatever religion you tell me out of that 10,000, if it makes you a better person... I'm all for it. Okay. So I went to CCD, went to the <laughs> classes, and okay. um, what I found was uh, I had a lot of questions, but we okay. didn't have a lot of time. Right. Because uh, we had to get confirmed. Right. So I this asked like the priest. Bart Simpson in Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. And I asked the priest, I said, listen, how do we know we're the right ones? What about these people who don't even know about Catholicism? Right. What about, he goes, oh, listen, Mark, really good questions. Um <laughs> Here's the thing, your grandmother will kill me if you don't get confirmed. (laughs) So let's just get you confirmed. Right. And when you graduate, they knew I was going to New York, and he goes, when you get confirmed and you go to New York, do what they tell priests to do. Go and study every religion you can. Learn everything you can. We hope you come back. Right. But you have to do that on your own. We don't want to blindly push you into this. Sure. But your grandmother really wants you to get confirmed. (laughs) Right. And my grandmother was very, very, uh, she was religious. Well, but not in a way, she never put right. it on anyone. But I think there were things hanging Catholic on the wall. Catholic and... families
0: and Jewish families have in common is there's a way to, it's like a cultural Catholic. Yes, exactly. Without necessarily being a religious Catholic. Exactly. There's just cultural exactly things that Catholic are, right. families yeah. would like to do. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, we have... Uh, My grandmother would have Mm -hmm. Jesus, Elvis, and Kennedy on the wall. Right. You know? (laughs) Um, Now, the thing was, is I went to New York. I lived on 40th and 8th, right at the heart of Times Square. And me and one of my roommates, who was a a really nice guy, we went to every church you could find within a 10-block radius, which is about 15 different religions. And we went and listened to all of them. Some of them really scared us. Sure. You know, Scientology was a weird situation. Okay. Um, we went to the there's the the Church of Times Square. Okay. It's its own thing. We went to all these, and we went to St. Pat's right. Cathedral, which was our Catholic sure adventure. Coming out of it, I'll be honest, uh, I don't really sure believe or not believe in any of it. I think it's all just a message and it's like jesus christ superstar the reason i say jesus christ superstar uh catholic is uh i think the stories are great i think it is a really great book the bible is a great book is it true i'm not necessarily thinking that there was this you know there's a guy up in the clouds who's pulling levers and judging people i do want to ask you because
0: you brought it up so tell us at least a sentence or two more about this Sirius XM radio show you're on with your friends.
1: So after I did all of the... the Personal journey. Yeah, <laughs> and I was at a comedy club, and he asked me something, and I told him that story. And uh, What's his name again? Uh, Dave Koenig, Okay, and uh, he's not on Sirius XM anymore. He's doing a web series thing now, but um, he wanted to have me on because okay. he goes, I'm, I'm really interested that you're like a 17-year-old kid who's on a journey and not out of spite. There was right. no hate in my heart of... Religion's right. bad. It right. was, how do we know what's right? You right. know, there's so many people telling different stories. Sure. One of them might be true. Well, maybe none of them are. Right. And I, I'll say this. I love listening to someone who does believe in mm-hmm. religion. I love listening to their enthusiasm. Sure. And their love of it. Right. But when it comes down to uh, an argument of people going back and forth to discuss things, right. atheists always win. Okay. They have facts on their side. Right. So anybody who I feel r- really believes in a religion mm-hmm. are going off of a feeling and going off of faith. Right. It's true. Yes. Where an atheist has facts and the facts outweigh right. that. I think, you know, uh, when people tell you, well, the miracle of childbirth, that's right. proof of God. Right. It's like, no, you're really proving science. Yes. I know how that baby was made.
0: Yes. And and before modern medicine, a, births often ended in the death of one or both of the participants. Yeah. So, so. At, with science's <laughs> help, we've had more babies survive. <laughs> yes. and You know,
1: it's it's one of these things where I guess if I had a, a to use a religious term, right. if I had a sympatical and right. ran away for a while, maybe I could come to a conclusion. And
0: maybe that's what's going to happen when I come <laughs> to the end of my life. Well, to stay on religious satire and comedy, yeah. is there any comedians past or present that you think did it really well, just as the craft of comedy?
1: Yeah, um, here's where there is issue with uh, all the the comedians that really make me laugh were mm-hmm. atheists. Okay. George Carlin. Sure. You got the Bill Hicks talking about religion. Yes. It's incredibly smart, funny. I'm really into the ideas of them poking right. fun in holes sure. and things. And it is kind of funny to see people get really pissed off when there are holes right. poked in their beliefs. Right. That being said, I don't want to be the one poking the holes. Okay. Because I found, you know, with religion, people right. tend to get really upset when you don't believe the same thing as them.
0: Well, one thing I've noticed, again, this is almost like a rhetorical technique that some comedians use, definitely Mark Mayer, and I've heard him say something like this when he talks about religion, which is to set up your premise as talking about extremists. Yes. So instead of saying, I'm going to tell you what's stupid about Christians, the you're going to say, yeah, you won't believe it. he's like crazy out there creationists. Yeah. Well, Whackos, and
1: I think that's where and that gives
0: you a little bit of like a firewall between yeah your audience in front of you compared to what you're making fun of.
1: That's yeah, it's true uh, that a lot of those guys get away with it. But then, like the Muslim religion, I find uh, I've heard a lot of guys who talk about religion mm. say that joking about them gets very intense. Because, yes, because and now it's becoming more often because I think people like the attention. So sure. like, Pen didn't do a episode of bullshit about Muslims right. because he was threatened. His family was threatened. Okay, I'd never and heard it's, that. It's, that, to me, is really sad thing because then that makes Muslims seem like bad people. But right. it's the extreme ones yes. that are the bad ones. And right. it's the same with Catholic and the same with Christians right. and, you know, whatever. The the extremes. But the extremes also what you make fun of in anything. Right. Um, if it, To make fun of uh, people that... Drink uh, soda water. Yeah, it's not that funny. <laughs> but if you see somebody drinking right. a Zima, right, you can then make fun of them because they sure. picked an extremely weird thing to do. Yeah, um, I think it's fair game. Right, as long as there's not hate in your heart. There's right. a lot of comics that I feel like go after religion, because they think it's either cool, right, or they're angry.
0: Well, Bill Maher has said in his film Religulous that when he watches old videos of him from the nineties. If he did religious humor, it was kind of like what you were saying earlier, almost like friendly roasting. Like, here's a little funny thing about yeah. it. Yeah. Here's a little funny thing about them. I like
1: that stuff.
0: But after, like later, his humor became like much more biting, poking Going holes after. in. And I've noticed, and I don't know if this is true, so feel free to completely disagree or say I'm wrong, that there's been a, like a, at least a subgenre, a strain, a few comedians, that since September 11th, gotten have gotten into i agree
1: the thing that is is it's it's something that people hold so close to their hearts right that when you make fun of it they you they feel like you're making fun of them for being a sucker identity politics yeah and when Mm -hmm. they feel like it's like you're making fun of me because i believe this thing you have to be able to detach yourself and say hey listen uh i get it it is funny This is just what I believe. And the Mm. other thing, one time there was a Twitter war between a a friend of ours and Mm -hmm. some guy, because uh, our friend Kevin, put a picture of his first communion and said, I had my first taste of Jesus today, and he was delicious. And this guy attacked him. And I'm like, Mm. A, that's silly and innocent. Relax. Yes. B the guy started tagging the Christian league or the Catholic league to get on Kevin for it. And so Kevin was like, dude, this is like crazy. So I actually put on there, I go, I find this funny. Oh, another Christian hating whatever. And I said, no, I think you should be, if you are secure with your beliefs, you should be able to laugh at it. Yeah. It's the, you get mad at something that, because you feel threatened. If you are completely, believe and yeah. you're a Christian, and you feel great yeah. about everything, you should be able to laugh at it because yeah. you
0: know your beliefs. There's nothing you can threaten going, your foundation. Yeah. Yes. And
1: so when people get upset about religion, I feel like they just maybe are worse off than me, that they really okay. don't know.
0: Right. Um, before we finish up. I don't know because I'm right. lazy. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know either. That's why I'm doing these interviews. Yeah. <laughs> before we finish up, I just wanted to ask one more. I've been ending some of the interviews on this question open-ended question. Anything else about religious satire we didn't get to that you'd um, like to uh, you make know, sure gets said?
1: I mean, I don't have a huge uh, uh, point of view to uh, attacking religion. I do think like religion to me is kind of like, you know, saying this Jesus Christ superstar mm-hmm. thing is like, I can go and watch that show, and right. I love it. I think it's a great story, and yep. it's interesting. I love that it's sure. taking the point of view of Judas more than Jesus, and sure. that's like, this whole thing that, like, I'm painted as this bad guy in the Bible. Right. In reality, I'm, you know, yes, I was I'm, the guy looking out for the guy. Yes, kind of stuck in the middle. It's a great story. Like, if you made it a cop story right. about, you know, yes. something, like, I think people would watch it and have no problem. But, you know, the extremists get upset about it. Right. But it's, I just feel like it's,
0: it's... Well, uh, you've written for Saturday Night Live, and you've written for other TV shows. I, is religion... In bounds when you're writing for television. Yes,
1: absolutely. Okay. I, to me, funny's funny. If you can make something funny and original, and it's not the, pointing out the same thing a thousand people have pointed out, sure, it's gay. It's uh, game. All right. And it's, uh, I mean, just like politics. If you can make it funny, you should forget about the forget about what side you're right. on. Right. You're allowed to laugh at your own team once in a while. Right. You know, and that's. Sure. It's kind of my point of view is you should be able to laugh even if you they're making fun of your team. If it's funny, it's funny.
0: Mark, before we finish, uh, remind everybody the name of your podcast that you produce. Please check us out, I Did That with
1: Mark and Jesse. You can go to i did ididthat.com or on every podcatcher yes. you can yeah. find. So <laughs> uh, look us up, I did ididthat.com. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, there you have it, my interview with my good friend Mark Riccadano. I hope you found that as interesting as I do. I don't know why, but I just found the idea of him visiting all these different churches and, like, comparing notes with his friends about similarities and differences to be a really fun and funny idea also uh, resonated with me a little bit because not literally, but probably at about that same age, like 16 to 20, is when I got interested in the value of religion in my life. I was definitely more of an agnostic in those days. And that's when I, I read the Bible. I've read it cover to cover twice. Uh, I went to the University of Toledo. and I would some, It's a large state university, and they'd have different religious groups would have meetings. So I'd sometimes just pop into some of those and hear what people had to say. In the library, you'd meet religious people. And at that time, rather than, shall we say, extricating myself, I would go all in and try to listen to what they had to say. So I guess I probably found Mark's story... Um, engrossing because it connected to me personally. I wonder if uh, anyone else had any kind of a similar experiences, either when they're younger or anytime. Anyway, thank you, Mark. Now. One of the reasons I talk about my pet rabbits is because of the unusual circumstance that keeping pet rabbits, they're in their habitats, which are cages, and we line their cages with old newspapers. And having old newspapers around has caused me to go back to reading newspapers and newspaper headlines. And every once in a while, I'll see a headline that relates to religion, and it'll catch my attention. One of the things that catches my attention is if there's anything inaccurate or misleading in the headline. I mean, I consider misinformation a sin. So I call this part of the show miss because I see historical and factual misinformation out there about religion and newspapers and other news outlets because of the way some reporters treat stories about religion as soft journalism. Whenever I find any examples of these, I have to set the record straight because it's good for our souls to know things. And hey, I'm not trying to ruin anybody else's good time. But come on, it's it may be your dogma, but it's my karma, and I'm all about spreading the love. For example, at the bottom of the rabbit hutch this morning, I saw a headline, Hobby Lobby Purchased Thousands of Ancient Artifacts Smuggled Out of Iraq, by Emma Green from the June 2017 Atlantic Magazine. Now this caught my attention because Hobby Lobby is in and out of the news. family that owns them is called the Greens, and they have a very active evangelical approach to life and business. The headline, simply put, is the headline itself was basically accurate, I have to say. But I wanted to find out what was going on with Hobby Lobby and smuggling and what was going on. Uh, So here's what I found out. Turns out that recently Hobby Lobby got caught with their hands in the cookie jar. They were caught buying stolen artifacts out of the Middle East and hit with a $3 million fine not to mention the loss of the illegal artifacts themselves. According to this article, the Green family, the owners of Hobby Lobby, is now the world's single largest collector of Bibles and Bible-looking ancient stuff. They're planning to open a Bible museum. Finally, a place where Americans can go to hear about the Bible. There's a box ticked. And a whole museum. The Green family must really be into this Bible thing. I mean, except for that part about thou shalt not steal. Because it turns out that a lot of the Word of God trinkets they imported were quite likely stolen goods. Now, the Green family's main excuse was they didn't really understand that buying antiquities was so complicated. That was their excuse. It's complicated. So their defense against allegations of violating international cultural property law is the same as a Facebook relationship status. It's complicated. And even though they say it's complicated, the article explains that just a few months before they were busted, they had fired their own expert in cultural property law that they'd been getting advice from because they thought they could do it themselves. But I mean, I can understand the reasoning. I mean, it's the same reason I fired my wife's gynecologist. There's no reason for me to pay for an expert for something I can just do myself, right? So they're buying these Bible-related objects. Well, they say they're Bible-related. The writing is in cuneiform, which is Sanskrit for chicken scratch. So who knows for sure? Anyway, they're buying things for their Bible museum because they believe the Bible is an important part of our culture and well worth taking seriously. I mean, if we didn't study the Bible seriously, how would we know that pi equals three, like it says in Kings? Or that we're supposed to stone our neighbors if they work on the Sabbath, like it says in Exodus? I always wondered why Hobby Lobby had such a large rock section for a craft store. Oh, quick digression. I was chatting with a friend of mine who's a rabbi, and this thing about stoning your neighbors came up. He said that in his opinion, people make too big of a deal out of it. I and mean, he pointed out that, certainly in Jewish communities, No one has actually stoned anyone for thousands of years. So he didn't think it was really worth bringing up all the time. Well, yeah, I know. We haven't stoned anyone for thousands of years because we've grown up enough to stop believing the stupid things that are in the Bible, or some of them anyway. Of course we've stopped stoning people. It's barbaric and inhumane. And also, we have guns now. And we know the Hobby Lobby Bible Museum, try saying that five times fast, the Hobby Lobby Bible Museum, is going to be a proselytizing institution because the president of Hobby Lobby, Steve Green, is quoted as saying that when you study all these ancient artifacts, you can see the word of God hasn't changed over the centuries. Now, right now at this point, I'm not going to go into a whole long lecture about the history of the Bible, but let me just put it briefly, bullshit. Actual scholars who study the history of the Bible, like one of the main things they do is study how it changes over time. The awesome tales of the amazing Jesus even change from gospel to gospel. In one story he provides fish and bread for five thousand people, and another version it's four thousand people. In one version there's tartar sauce, and another there's salsa. You might remember that Hobby Lobby, a quaint little family run business with a mere 600 stores and 28,000 employees, was in the news a couple of years ago because the Green family sued the government on religious grounds to avoid providing birth control in their company's health insurance. They seem to believe in some non-existent book of the Bible, the book of pharmaceuticals, where God lists all the drugs that are evil. I mean, come on, for self-proclaimed literalists, these people are strangely preoccupied with a lot of things never even mentioned in the Bible. Birth control, dinosaurs, glue guns. One thing I definitely do remember from going to synagogue as a Jewish kid is, Thou shalt not steal. That is literally in the Bible. But the Green family conveniently forgot that passage when it suited them. Again, they are some terrible literalists, and I genuinely mean that. Although, to be fair, Nowhere in the Bible does it literally say, Thou shalt not receive stolen goods from foreign terrorists. So I suppose they'll still get into heaven on a technicality. Listen to this. To execute the purchase of these ancient artifacts from a dealer he'd never met, Stephen Green had to wire 1.6 million U.S. dollars to seven separate personal bank accounts. And remember, these are artifacts that had somehow come up for sale not too long after all the looting that took place during the Iraq War. And it wasn't even clear where these items were being stored. Wow, if Steve Green didn't think that sounded fishy, he'd probably believe any sort of ridiculous made-up story. Oh, right, Hobby Lobby Bible Museum. And then, as the article points out, some of the biggest sellers of stolen antiquities in the Middle East are ISIS and other terrorist groups. Fortunately, Green's conscience got the better of him when he saw the artifacts were sent in boxes that were deliberately mislabeled to avoid detection. And he knew, like his cultural property law advisor would have warned him, there's a very good chance that the sellers either were or had ties to ISIS or other extremist groups. So he did the right thing. Called the authorities, explained the situation. <laughs> just kidding. He did nothing like that. U.S. Customs found out and busted him. Otherwise, those thousands of stolen items would have gone right into his Hobby Lobby Bible Museum. Even so, right now, his $1.6 million is very likely in the hands of ISIS or other terrorists. So we can now say this sentence, Hobby Lobby funds ISIS. I don't have any joke to go with that. It's just my new favorite sentence. And that's what I found at the bottom of the rabbit hutch today. So it just remains for me to say my thank yous, however, before I get to that, I have one more update for you. Um, this is a little bit personal, but I, I probably need to say something. Um, a few months ago, when I started this podcast, I decided to make our pet rabbits, Kevin Bacon and Newton, a little part of the show, you know, they're cute, and they're friendly, and you know, wanted them to be involved, kind of like the mascots of the show. And while this episode was in production, I must let you know that sadly, our beautiful Kevin Bacon passed away. It was uh, very hard on our family, but I felt that um, since I've been sharing updates from the rabbit hutch with you, that I should let you know that. As you can probably guess, the comical heathen is skeptical about heaven or the nature of the afterlife. However, I can only hope that Kevin Bacon is in a better place where she can play chase, do bunny binkies, and have all the carrots that she wants. Well, on that sad note, let me try to wrap this episode up. So it just remains uh, for me to go through my thank yous. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure you find us on iTunes, rate us, leave good comments, give us some stars, all of that good stuff. Uh, I want to thank Mark Riccadonna for being in today's interview. I want to thank my good friend Jeff Geddert for his technical advice and for providing assistance in the writing of the episode and I want to thank my friend Mark Bell who is playing the beautiful organ music you hear at the beginning and end of every episode Uh, so with that thank all of you I'm your host Dr. Jerry Jaffe